Let's look at this. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this gospel message, for this good news. Lord, open our hearts and our minds, and by your Spirit, Lord, illuminate this word and help us to be people who not just love in word and in tongue, but we would be a people that would love in deed and in truth. Father, we ask this. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so this is, this is really the crux of the gospel or the crux of our New Testament faith. And this is really a very simplistic message. And John, John especially, it's in John's gospel that it was recorded, the new commandment that Jesus gave that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. Remember in John 13, 34, that was the new commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples. And then John in this letter alludes to this throughout. We've already covered some of this. But here in verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This was John's message um, Jerome writes, when the venerable John could no longer walk to the meetings of the church, but was borne thither by his disciples, he always uttered the same address to the church. He reminded them of that one commandment which he had received from Christ himself as compromising, as comprising all the rest and forming the distinction of the new covenant. My little children love one another. And when the brethren present, wearied of hearing the same thing so often, asked why he always repeated the same thing, he replied, because it is the commandment of the Lord, and if this one thing be attained, it is enough. That's a pretty powerful statement. And what John has done is reduce this down to something so simple that it's difficult for us to, to really escape it. To love, not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Not just with our speech, not just 
in a meaningless way, but in a meaningful way, that our lives would be such that we would live out the love of God. And so this was John's constant message when he was with the church. So much so, Jerome says, that the people wearied of hearing him say this over and over and over. But yet, John said, this was the commandment given to us by the Lord. And if we do this, one thing, it is enough. So warm words should be accompanied by warm deeds. John is obviously not against loving words, but words without corresponding actions are hollow and void of actual love. This is the example of the old adage, actions speak louder than words. Love is not only what we say, but it must be proved by what we do. Love must be in deed and in truth, not only from the lips, but from the heart. And love that is from the heart is going to be manifest through our fingertips and through our, ourselves. Verse 19, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. By what do we know that we are of the truth? We know that we are of the truth when we love in deed and in truth. This is what John is saying here. By this we know that we are of the truth, our love lived out. And that love lived out shall assure our hearts before him. By our loving in deed and in truth, with our actions, we know that we are of the truth. Our love lived out in deed and in truth will also assure our hearts before him. Our love will satisfy the doubts of our heart before God. So this word assure you may have a translation that says persuade, but it's talking about the assurance of our heart. When we live out our love, when love becomes a part of who we are as believers, and love comes out of our lives, and love is manifest through our lives, that love gives us assurance before God. For if our heart condemns us, verse 20, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. That's a pretty powerful statement. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. An example of this is seen in the interaction between Jesus and Peter at the end of John's gospel. Remember, Peter denied Christ three times. And then when Jesus comes in John 21, it shows Peter and the other disciples are out fishing and Jesus shows up on the seashore. And they realize it's Jesus and they come. And then Peter has this interaction with Christ. And Christ asks Peter, do you love me? So this example of Jesus and Peter in this interaction, Peter, having denied Jesus, was feeling the condemnation of his heart and responding to, Jesus, and to the question Jesus asks him, Do you love me, Peter? 
Peter appealed to one greater than his heart. He appealed to Jesus, the maker, the maker of his heart, the one who gave him a new heart, the one who knows all things. And Peter responds, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So as Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? There is a condemnation in Peter's heart because Peter knew that he had denied Jesus. And Peter did not trust his heart because he promised, remember, I'll never deny you. I'll even go to death with you. And then he ends up denying him three times. John 21, 17. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So when our heart condemns us, just as Peter's heart condemned him, we appeal to something, to someone greater than our heart, which is what Peter did. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. This is very good news for us. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. When our heart condemns us, we are to have the assurance that comes from the one greater than our heart, the one who knows all things, most certainly the one who knows our heart. Now verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So in both of these verses, if my heart condemns me, God is greater than my heart. If my heart does not condemn me, I have confidence toward God. There is a way we need to understand this in a way we, we don't understand this. We need to understand what, what is being communicated here and what's not being communicated here. It doesn't mean that we can't ever feel conviction or the Spirit of God in us would convict us of our sin and that there would be that condemnation. Now, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And the point of the Spirit of God convicting us is not to condemn us, it is to convict. There's a difference between being convicted of sin and being condemned in my sin. I am no longer condemned in my sin if I am in Jesus Christ. Jesus has delivered me from my sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so even when my heart condemns me, and our hearts very often do that, we need to know that there is one greater, greater than our heart, that is the Lord Jesus, and that is who we appeal to. In verse 21, he says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. This is obviously not speaking of those who have no conscience of sin. There are people in the world who don't know Christ, who are lost in their sin, who are in sin and death, and they have no, no sense of of God's holiness and God's righteousness who have rejected the Lord. And so we're not talking about people who are dead in their sin. 
This is talking about believers with the indwelling Holy Spirit who are convicted of sin. When we are led in the path of righteousness for his namesake, that's what the Holy Spirit does, leads us and guides us into all truth. We can be assured that if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. As a child of God, as believers, when you sin, when you disobey God, you feel the weight of that conviction. That's the Holy Spirit. It should be that way. If you do not feel convicted, that's when you should be worried because if you're not feeling conviction for your sin, that's a problem. We are supposed to feel the weight of that when we do sin and the Holy Spirit in us leading us into the path of righteousness. When we stray from that path of righteousness, the Spirit of God lets us know that. And so feeling that um, in our heart is a good thing. That's the Holy Spirit pulling us back onto the path of righteousness for his namesake. And so, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit. And when we are not feeling conviction, or we're not feeling condemned in our heart, we have confidence toward God. And this is important. We can be assured that if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And we can rest assured that the Spirit in us will convict us of sin and of righteousness. Therefore, if our heart does not condemn us as believers, we have confidence toward God. Verse 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I don't know if you see what's happening here, but there is a progression that's taking place. We can take these, each of these verses separately, and if we took these verses separately... We can make them say something that the Scripture's not telling us, that the Scripture's not teaching us. So we can't just take, for instance, uh, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Uh, we have to understand that in the context of being believers, not just anyone. Or, back up in verse 20, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. That doesn't mean that we can just do what we want. And, and when we feel conviction or condemnation because we're disobeying God, that, that's okay. God's bigger than our heart. The, what we're seeing here is that John is talking about the believers, those who have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's going to actually introduce us the, the concept of the Spirit here in the last verse of this section of the Scripture. And we see that whatever, um, whatever we ask, verse 22, we receive from Him. Why? Because we keep His commandments to do those things that are pleasing in His sight. So when He talks about our heart not condemning us, the understanding is that we are living our lives in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. That our lives, again, we go back to love. We're not just loving in word and in, in tongue, but we're loving in deed and in truth. And our life is, is lived before the Lord 
And our life is lived consistent with Jesus and how Jesus walked and how Jesus modeled these things in his obedience um, to the Father. And so, verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him, means that we're asking all things according to his will. It doesn't mean whatever we ask, we receive from him. I know it says that, but you understand because we keep his commandments. So we're not just asking anything. We're asking things according to his will. We're not asking our own will unless it is in accord with his. We're not asking for anything contrary to his good and righteous will. We would not receive anything from him that would be contrary to to the will of God, or his holy nature. So this is not a blanket statement, but a statement that is qualified according to the will of God. So whatever we ask according to his will, we receive from him. So this is not a blanket statement where God says, you can ask anything you want and I'll give it to you. The understanding here is that we're asking according to his will because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So we do not merit our request from him based on keeping his commandments. This is really important. So we don't earn our merit or our favor with God by keeping his commandments. We don't merit our requests from him based on keeping his commandments. We earn no merit from God based on our obedience. It is first and only by God's grace that we have favor with him. What we have in Christ, what we have, we have by God's grace. And so John here, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight is not saying that we're earning these things based on our obedience. This is grace. It is by his grace first given to us that we keep his commandments. How can you or how can I keep God's commandments? It is only by God's grace. It is grace first and foremost. It's not our obedience. Our obedience is a product of God's grace. And so, we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And the benefits of obedience are the benefits of God's grace. We must always remember that we are products of his grace. And all that we have from him is not what we have earned, but what he has gifted us out of his sovereign grace and mercy. So when John writes this, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. John is basically affirming again where we started, where he says, let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This is what he is saying here. We ask what we, we whatever we ask, we receive because we keep his commandments. In other words, we're living out our faith. We're living out our love. 
Because if we love God, then we will obey God. Jesus said that. If you love me, keep my commandments. What's the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this is living out our faith. And this is what it means when we, uh, when Paul, John is writing about keeping his commandments and doing those things that are pleasing in his sight. We're not just speaking about our faith. We're actually living out our faith in all that we do. It should be seen. It should be known in the totality of our life. And when we're living that way, when we're living consistent with God's commandments, when we're living consistent with who Christ is, then our lives are going to look a certain way and those things will be consistent with the benefits of that obedience that comes from his grace. There are benefits. So we're not earning merit from God. We're not earning favor, but there are benefits to obey is better than sacrifice, uh, Saul told, uh, Samuel told Saul. And so there is great benefit in obedience. But it's not obedience that has given us favor with God. It is God's grace. And when we recognize God's grace at work in our life, God's grace that has given us a new heart, God's grace that has given us a desire and an ability to love him, when we begin to recognize that grace of God, that grace should inform us how to live our lives. It should inform us how to love one another. It should inform us how to love God. It should inform us how we actually walk these things out. Verse 23, and this is his commandment. So John now tells us this is the commandment. Remember he said in, back up in verse 22, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Well, this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. So this is what it means to keep his commandments, to believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he gave us commandment. John, as was his constant habit, is again reminding the believers what the Lord's commandment is. We are commanded to believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he gave us commandment. This is the essence of our new covenant faith. Just as Jesus did, John reduces our faith down to the very thing Jesus commanded his disciples to love God and to love one another. Faith and love cannot be separated. So we can't talk about having faith in Christ and not loving Christ. Those are, not, those are things that you can't, you can't separate. If you have faith, if you profess faith, that can only come from love. The love God put in your heart. Remember, we're going to see this in the coming um, verses as we get farther down into chapter 4, where John 
says in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. And so when we're talking about, when we're talking about the commandment to, to believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another, this is a commandment to love. To believe on the name of the Son of God is to love the Son of God. Faith and love cannot be separated. To believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is only possible through love. To say, I believe on the name of Jesus Christ is synonymous with loving the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot truly believe apart from love. And you cannot truly love apart from faith. And love cannot just be word and tongue. It must be deed and in truth. That's why what we say can be deceiving. It's what we do. It's how we live. This is very important. There are a lot of people in the world who say they believe in God, they trust in Jesus Christ, but their lives don't demonstrate that. And this is what John is saying. You can't just say these things. You can't give God just lip service. If you truly love Jesus, if you truly have faith in Jesus, then your life will be marked by his love. It must be. John has made... John has made it very clear, just as Jesus did, to love God is to love our brother. And if I love God, I will love my brother, not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Our love for God must be seen in our love for one another. All of our affections centered in the holiness of God, not perverted by the world's standards of love and affection, not selfish or self-seeking, but freely giving as Christ freely gave. Verse 24, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. What is the commandment? That we believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another. He who keeps his commandments, he who does that, abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. This echoes the words of Jesus recorded for us in John's gospel. John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. This cannot be confused with moralism. So John is not talking about moralism here. He who keeps his commandments abides in him. Because if we've tracked through this series of verses here, John is talking about love. The context and the center of everything John is talking about here is love. This is not about moralism. This is not about trying to... Um, create some moral standard that we live by. Moralism does not save us, nor does it cause us to abide in God. If we are walking as Christ walked, we will live very moral lives. There's no doubt about that. But it's not our morality that saves us. 
God saves us. And God in his grace pours his love into our heart so that that love poured into our heart can now be manifest to those around us so that God's love can be known not just in word and in tongue but in deed and in truth. And so it is God's love that saves us and it is love that causes us to abide in him. To keep his commandments is to love in deed and in truth. So love is the mark of sonship. So we're children of God. We're sons of God. Love is the mark of sonship. It is the love of God poured into our heart by God's grace that marks us as his own. It is love that motivates us to keep his commandments, to believe on his name, to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love one another even as Christ has loved us. That is what Jesus has commanded us to do. This is what John reduced it down to, and he had such a simple message always for the church. Little children, love one another. To the point that Jerome says they grew weary of hearing John say it over and over. But John says, if this one thing is done, then this is sufficient. And, and it may sound very simple, but if you think about what it means to love, to love God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love one another as Christ has loved us. If you really stop and think about what that means, it's, it's, it's quite a profound message. And it, it encompasses everything that the Scripture teaches us. This is why Jesus gave that new commandment so that we would not get lost in the weeds trying to keep all the rules and the regulations like the Pharisees did who were so caught up with keeping the commandments and the traditions that they forgot what love is. And they'd become so moralistic and lived such moralistic lives and they took such pride in their moralism and their ability to keep the commandments, they forgot what love was. And they put burdens on people because to them it was all about the rules and the regulations. Jesus said, no, it's about love. The rules and the regulations will take care of themselves if we love properly. You realize that. When there is trust, when there is that relationship, you don't need a lot of rules and regulations because those things will take care of themselves because love will make sure those things are fulfilled. We know he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 and 17. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's what Jesus told his disciples before he was taken to be crucified. 
on the night of that last supper. And he tells them, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. I am with you now. The Spirit is with you now, but he will be in you then. Now in Christ, the Spirit dwells in us, bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. By this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So here in verse 24, this is the first time that John introduces the Holy Spirit in this little letter of his. And he introduces this here in verse 24, and he says that he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. God has given us his Spirit. And we know that we abide in him and that he abides in us by the Spirit that he has given to us. Paul wrote, in Romans there, that it is the Spirit of God himself that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, joint heirs with Christ. So we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. We know we are of the truth by our love, lived out in deed and in truth. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. So he who keeps his commandments abides in Christ, and Christ abides in us. So Christ abides in you, and you abide in Christ. It's the picture of John 15 with the vine and the branches. The branch growing out of the vine, and there is that exchange of life. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. John draws our attention to the Holy Spirit in verse 24 as he continues in this letter, and we'll see this next week. As he continues in this letter, John begins to warn against the many false spirits and false prophets. So as John is getting ready to give warning to the believers about the false spirits, that we are to test the spirits to see whether they are of God. He reminds us that we know that God abides in us and we abide in him because of the spirit that he has given to us. We can have assurance that we belong to him and we are right before him because we keep his commandments. Even when our heart condemns us, there is one greater than our heart. When our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And John, as he goes through this series of verses here, he is laying out 
a picture of God's people who are walking in obedience to God, who are walking out their faith. So our faith has got to be more than just what we say. Our faith has got to be who we are and what we do. And I think we're, I think we're living in a time now in, a, in our nation where a lot of people profess to be Christians, but we're seeing things happening in our nation which would seem to indicate that there's a lot of people saying the right things, but there's a lot of things that aren't happening that are right. There's a lot of things that are happening that seem to indicate there may not be as much faith as people are saying they have. There may not be as much love for God as people claim they have. Because if I truly love God, then my life is going to look a certain way. And if we have enough people who truly love God, then we're going to see that manifest in our culture. And I think we're seeing the opposite of those things manifesting in our culture right now. And so what does that mean for us? That means that we need to do exactly what John is telling us to do here. That we can't be a people who love only in word and tongue. We have to be a people who, who love in word and in, deed, and in uh, deed and in truth. And that we have to be a people who actually live out our faith and walk out our faith. And that is done as we love God and we love one another. And we have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us that leads us into all truth. And we can discern those spirits that are not of God because we have the Spirit that is of God. And we have the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of truth will never lead us astray. So if we are children of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, having the indwelling Spirit, we can be assured that we are never going to be led astray. Because the Spirit of God in us is not going to lead us astray. And so John is warning the church here. We'll see this when we begin verse 4 or chapter 4 next week. John is warning the church here not to believe every spirit. And so we need to know the truth. We need to focus on the truth. We need to walk in the truth, live in the truth, and do those things consistent with the truth. And the Spirit of God on the inside of us will show us when we are being tempted to be led astray or there's a voice. There's lots of voices in the world right now. Lots of voices out there saying lots of things. And we need to have the Spirit of God and a discernment that comes from God to be able to test those spirits to see whether they be of God or not. Amen. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's get ready to come to the table. Let's all stand. The words of the Apostle, my little children love one another because it is the commandment of the Lord. And if, it is, and if this one thing be attained, it is enough. 
This is the crux of our new covenant faith, to love in deed and in truth, to love God and to love one another, even as he has loved us. This is the commandment, to believe on his name and to love one another. May we faithfully obey his commandments and live out our love to his glory, to our edification. Amen.